Let's let's open up in prayer. I want us uh, to uh, excuse me. Let me uh, begin recording. Recording in <coughs> progress. I want to ask that we unite our hearts and come before the Lord and uh, ask for His blessing. And so the Bible says that if we hunger and we thirst after righteousness, we shall be filled. So as we come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, let us hunger for His blessing. Let us hunger for a word from God. Right? Paul says this, he says, I, th- I thank God continually for when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God that is at, uh, effectually at work in you who believe. So when you receive the word of God with hunger, it it produces results. It's effectual in your hearts. And so, um, but that's all uh, um, based on our hunger. Uh, see, sometimes, um, you know, there is times where Jesus passed certain people by uh, in the scriptures, and it was their hunger that drawed upon his virtue, that drawed upon his power. In fact, Jesus had no intention on originally blessing them. But their their hunger had drawn out of Jesus. Remember uh, the, the individual, um, the, the Samaritan woman, right? Or the, the um, I believe the woman with the demon-possessed child. Uh, she was a Gentile and she said, uh, and Jesus says, look, it's not meat for me to give the children's bread to, to the dogs, right? So he was putting her off. But how many of you know, despite the fact that Jesus came originally for the Jews, he came to his own, his own received him not, and, and had no intention on going to the Gentiles, this Gentile nonetheless had such a hunger level and faith that she had drawn from Christ. What Jesus had no intention on originally giving to her. You got to think about those things. And so, in other words, it's it's called, uh, we learned this word last week, shame, uh, audacity. And uh, the word, the Bible, depending on what translation you use, might use shameless audacity or importunity. Uh, but they're basically the same thing. And it's to say that it doesn't matter uh, who's looking at me, if I look like a fool I'm going to get to Christ. It's like the, the blind man, and, and Jesus was passing him by, and he says, Oh, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, son of David. And the disciples try to say, Hey, shut up, shut up. You're ruining the church service. <laughs> right? Hey, shut up, man. Stop all that stuff. <laughs> and he cried all the more. Right? Isn't that um, very beautiful about Jesus? It it. He he will uh, his your hunger level is a pleasure to him, despite the fact that it may be an annoyance to others, right? <clears throat> but let us pray and that that God would bless our meeting this this um, evening or morning wherever you're at. <clears throat> Father, we come before you, Lord, and I just ask God right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, that your presence would gather. Uh, Your presence would be felt in our midst, Lord. God, I pray that your word would go forth in power, that your word would go forth in anointing, that your word would go forth, O Lord, 
in such a way that it would build up your people, it would edify the saints, it would edify your your people, O oh Lord. I pray that it would build them up in their most holy faith. And God, I pray that uh, you would inspire, O oh Lord, my speaking, or that you would inspire, O oh Lord, my speech, that you would anoint my lips, O oh Lord. Father, your word says in, in 1 Timothy 3.16 that your word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Therefore, O oh Lord, I ask that you would administer correction, Lord, that you would administer reproof, O oh Lord, that your people would be built up as a holy edifice. And God, I just pray that uh, through the proclamation of your word, that the lies of the enemy, the lies of the devil would be dispelled. They, they would be uh, uh, eradicated and that your word would be believed on through faith and that it would produce fruit, it would produce a crop a hundredfold, Lord. And so, Father, I just thank you, Lord, right now. And I ask, Lord, that you would um, grant me unction you would grant me the unction of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that our minds would be conformed, that you would renew our minds, Lord, according to Romans 12, by your Holy Word. Yes, God, renew our minds. Strengthen us. We bless you, Lord. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high to ever live to make intercession for your people. We thank you, Lord, that you're not dead like Buddha. We thank you, Lord, that you're not dead like Muhammad, that you rose again and you conquered death. And for that, Lord, we praise you and we glorify your holy and majestic name. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I want to ask that we turn to um I want to ask that we turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. I'm sorry I should have mentioned that earlier. Um But again, Psalm 27 verse 1. You know, I, I really love the Psalms <coughs> because they were uh, written by, well, for a number of reasons, but uh, it was written by uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, examples in, in the Bible, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, namely uh, King David. And um, David was a, a valiant man. He was a, a warrior. He was a... He was a poet. He was a singer. And uh, he, he knew how to war for God. He says in the Psalms, The Lord teaches my fingers to war. But he also knew how to, to worship, to praise. And he wasn't ashamed to give God glory. He wasn't ashamed to give God praise. On one occasion, he, he even, and I don't recommend any of us do this, <laughs> but he, he danced naked. And um, and uh, I, I believe it was his uh, wife who 
um, was upset that he was praising God and that he he uh, had uh, appeared to look as a fool. And he said, look, I, I'm even willing to look more foolish than this. Right? And I think that uh, the reason I bring this up is because we can learn from his example, not, not in that sense, but in the sense of praising God, blessing his name. David said, bless the Lord all my soul and forget not all of his benefits. Uh, David said, he said, uh, you know, I, I won't offer unto the Lord a, a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Right? Amen. And uh, I, I, I appreciate example because he detests idols. And it, it was the Lord alone whom he worshipped and he praised. And so let us turn to uh, Psalm 27 verse 1. Beginning at verse 1 it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? Now I just want to stop there um, because there's a number of things that God is described as in the scriptures and uh, the Bible says that God is love right in first John the Bible says that God is light in him there is no darkness right and so uh, and there's a number of other things too but uh, this one in particular is that God is light in who, and, and in him there is no darkness. And see, f for our lives to um, become prosperous, we have to walk in him. Because he is the light. If we are not following him, then no matter what we do, no matter how wise we are, no matter how intellectual we are, it doesn't matter uh, how much advice we acquire from mankind or um, a board of advisors, we're going to be uh, overcome by darkness. And David here, he's proclaiming this truth about the Lord, that the Lord is his light, right? You have to first acknowledge that he is the light, because the Bible says the light came into the world, but the, they, they didn't receive it. They didn't receive this light. And, the, and the David's saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Right? Whom shall I fear? So in other words, He is my deliverer. He is my Savior. He delivers me from hardships. He delivers me from trouble. But above all, He has delivered us from the wrath of God. He delivered us from the wrath to come through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the blood that was shed for the sins of those who would believe on Him. Right? And that's the greatest thing that we as um, the people of God can be thankful unto the Lord for. I, I, I'm thankful unto the Lord for many things. I'm thankful to Him. Uh, as David says, I recount all the deeds of the Lord, for they, they are numerous. But this one thing that we uh, that that should elicit uh, a great joy in our hearts is that Jesus Christ saved us from the wrath of God. The Bible says in Romans five uh, verse eight through ten, uh, verses six through ten, it says, "Very rarely would a righteous man die for a good man, though though a righteous man a righteous man might dare to die, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly." 
It says uh, that he was delivered unto uh, death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. And so for that, let us be uh, thankful and to praise his name. But it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I don't know if you guys, uh, I forgot. I think it was Casting Crowns. Uh, what's that song called? But there's a there's a section in the song that says, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Um, but see, when the Lord is our light and He is our deliverer, it's not demons that we fear, nor men, nor circumstances, nor trouble. Amen, somebody? If the Lord is our deliverer, we, we ought not even to fear demons. We ought not to fear men. We ought not to fear what comes upon the earth because the Lord delivers us from such troubles. He's a mighty deliverer. He's not just a deliverer. He is the deliverer. Right? Definite article. Deliverer. The above all. He's not just a Lord, he's the Lord. He's not just a God. The Bible says he's above all gods, right? He is the deliverer. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is, the, he is as it says in the Greek, the ego a me, the I am that I am. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. He said unto Moses, he says, I am that I am. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's Jehovah Shalom. But here particularly, he is our deliverer. And predicated upon that truth, we ought not to fear. Amen. Like uh, Paul says in Romans 8, he says, What then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, we are sheep uh, counted as slaughter. He says, Nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Whom shall I fear? It's a rhetorical question. You know, some, some might say... Uh, you know, you, you got to get real, right? Um, yeah, that's the song, Who Am I Casting Crowns? Some might say, you know, you got to get real. We're all humans and we're, we're just men. We, we get afraid. And I can say amen to that because we are men. But see, the thing is our strength comes from the Holy Ghost. It's us as spiritual men and spiritual women that derive our our confidence not in the flesh not in ourselves not in men not in the strength of men but in him right like david says in the psalms he says the lord uh, is it takes no delight in the, in the strength of men or the legs of men he says, uh, chariots are vain in the day of battle, but our help comes from the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah. It says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. You know, there are such things as demonic strongholds. And it's those things that Paul says uh, he cast down. And he had taken captive to bring into obedience. He demolishes strongholds. That the weapons of a warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But see, those strongholds can be demolished. Those strongholds can be eradicated, but the Lord invincible in battle is a stronghold that nothing can defeat. Amen. Hallelujah. As it says in the Psalms, it says, uh, uh, open, uh, it says, lift up uh, your gates, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in, the King of glory invincible in battle. See, I love that about the Lord. The, the Bible describes him as a God of battle. It doesn't just say that to be poetic or, you know, uh, prolific with language and, you know, to be fancy. And it's, it's describing a reality of God. And he wars. He wars on, on behalf of his, of his children. He wars on behalf of those whom he loves. He defends them. It says this, verse 2, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Who will stumble and fall? Not us. Our enemies will stumble and fall. And so David is taking consolation in the Lord because, because he's going to stumble and fall. No, because he knows that the Lord is his stronghold. The Lord is his refuge. The Lord is his ever-present help in trouble. And it is not he that will fall, but those whom are persecuting him. Right? Like it says even in Jude, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you stumbling and falling and present you faultless until his coming. How many of you know, like we, we played that song, No Weapon? See, weapons can come directly through a demon, uh, 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 apart from any human agents. But sometimes the enemy raises up men, men and women to come against you, to, to hurl insults, to slander you, to deceive you, to manipulate you, right? And this is precisely what is occurring here in verse 2 when David is experiencing wicked men that are advancing against him to devour him. And that, that's precisely what the devil comes is to devour, to subtract, to hinder, to persecute. Amen. <clears throat> but this is our hope. It says our enemies will stumble and fall. Verse 3, it says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. See, I, I, I'm sure some of us have met some pretty strong individuals in the past. And, and strong people come to our mind, very courageous people. Um, you know, some people, they, they uh, you know, I've heard it said before that, uh, you know, there's some people who don't know enough to be afraid. Those who do know enough to be afraid, and there are those who know their God. Right? You know, sometimes people are. It's not. It's not necessarily that they're courageous, but they're so 
ignorant and arrogant, uh, not aware of the danger, and they foolishly fall headlong into things. You know, it's like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, young uh, gangsters that I see, you know, they're in their late teens, early 20s, and they, they seem as if they're so courageous, but they just haven't got hit hard enough. They don't know, of, uh, they don't really know what they should be afraid of. And it, um, fear is what plagues man's heart, right? And so my point in bringing this up is I don't care how strong you are, if an army besieges you, it will cause fear. But he says if an army besieges him, he will not fear. Is David just lying? Is he just... No, it's that his confidence is in God. His confidence is not within himself. Because the reasonable thing, if our confidence is in ourselves as individuals, that we should fear. However, this is not what David's doing. He's placing his soul trust in the Lord his God. It says when, uh, it says... It, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then will I be confident. How many of you know that we, we have been promised to, uh, to receive attacks? It's all throughout the scriptures. It doesn't matter what mask it is, doesn't matter what form it is. It is nonetheless promised. It will nonetheless come. It's not... It's not uh, if it is when such things will occur. Like Peter says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that are to come to try you as if some strange thing were happening unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. Right? Uh, Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, He says, uh, "Blessed," uh, towards the end of His uh, blessed statements, um, and just for your information, the word is makarios, and it means happy is the man. Full and blessed uh, uh, is the man. It, it, blessed are those uh, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says when you're insulted, uh, when you're slandered. He says for great is your reward in heaven, for such did they do of the prophets of old. You know, it's always, it's always the false prophets that are well spoken of in this day and age, right? How many of you see that? And it's often those who are actually genuine that are evil spoken of. You know, I remember Lynn Ravenhill said, he said, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we give prophets our boot in our day, but we praise them in the next generation. But verse 4 says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. It says, That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Hold on. Before we continue, I just want to ask this question. <coughs> Is this reflective of our hearts? Do we hunger and thirst after the Lord in this manner? He doesn't say, you know, these many things I seek. See, this was this was David's heart. 
to seek God. And so I, I want to I ask us, do our hearts still search for the Lord? Or when trouble arises in your life, do you search out many other people, many other things? Or is God just an afterthought? Or is God your first and foremost priority? When trouble assails you, you know that you can seek the Lord and obtain refuge and help and strengthen Him. Amen. See, D David is channeling all of Amen. his energy and restricting it to this one thing here. He says, this one thing that I do seek. And it's not that he didn't seek other things. You know, the J Jewish literature is common to be hyperbolic or, or to exaggerate. Because certainly there were other things that he had sought from the Lord. Uh, daily needs or, you know, uh, and there, there are many other prayers throughout the Psalms that we see David has prayed. So this wasn't the only thing. But it's similar to what Paul said. He says, this one thing I do. I, I forget those things which are behind and I press towards the mark, towards the high call in Christ Jesus. In other words, that is to say, it, it's, it's requiring my utmost being, all my faculties in order to uh, to continue down this one road, to lay a hold of this one thing. And it, it's requiring sacrifice, it requires fervor, it requires hunger, it requires all my utmost being. And it, it's with all that, the totality of who I am, I'm seeking, this is my main priority in life, that I'm seeking for God. I'm asking to dwell in His temple all the days of my life. Some people would say, that's all, oh, you're just being religious. You're just trying to act better than, you're trying to act holier than thou. You know, what, what I have learned, and it's, it's unfortunate, <coughs> that sometimes, um, and it's not a matter of competition, uh, but sometimes your hunger level for God can make others who aren't as hungry feel inferior. But it's not, it's not a matter of that. See, when someone is really seeking for God and is hungry for the Lord, they're not concerned about the hunger level of other people. They're not trying to pay, play comparison games. They're so conscientious of God. They're so conscious of the Lord. See, this one thing... I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. See, this isn't what the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and them were interested in. They made the house of the Lord a den of thieves. But what did the Lord Jesus say in turning over, flipping over the tables? He says, my, house, my father's house should be called a house of prayer of many nations. See, that, that's, <coughs> this, this uh, really breaks my heart. This is exactly what we are doing today in the church. We're making the church, we're making the house of God into a business. We're making it into entertainment and all this other rubbish. 
when the house of God should be a house of prayer. Not a den of thieves. Amen. A house of prayer for many nations. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there were a few things that caused Jesus' blood to boil. This was one of them. Jesus didn't go around like these street preachers, angry at everybody, flipping over everybody's tables. But when he did flip over tables, it was for a reason. It was for a reason. And so ought not that, ought not that to be our example, to be righteously enraged when men are desecrating the house of God. Utterly desecrating it, degrading it, and reducing it to nothing more than showmanship. As Charles Spurgeon once said, he says, The day and age will come when there will be clowns behind the pulpit and not true shepherds who feed the flock. And if there ever was a day that that was true, I I would say that it, it certainly is today. Just showmanship. Theatrics, entertainment, business. An occasion to boast in the flesh of men. And see, this is why I love prayer, because it leaves no occasion to boast. Not, not, certainly not in ourselves, but into, in God. You know, I, I love what Ravenhill once said. He says, uh, prayer hasn't been found in the balances and have uh, has been weighed in the balances and found wanting. It's been weighed in the balances and have been found difficult. Men don't want to pray. Why? Because they can't boast of how many people they're preaching to. They can't uh, uh, boast of all their accolades and all that they've acquired. Because prayer is the language of the poor. Prayer is the language of the destitute. David says, bow down your ear, for I'm poor and I'm needy. Amen. Is there still a, 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 a hunger in the spirit that says, Lord, I, I long in the place of prayer to acquire greater depths of who you are and all that, that you are for me and that you have for me. Hallelujah. To see the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple. You know, in Luke 11 and in Matthew 7, when Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, he says this, uh, it's uh, prefaced with this, hallowed be your name. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, unfortunately, you know, Catholics have reduced that to a, a mere recitation. But what example is left for us in the scriptures when men proclaim the Lord to be holy? I'm reminded of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 6, who says, In the year that Uzziah died, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he says, with uh, There were seraphims with uh, six wings, uh, with two wings they covered their faces, and you know, so on and so forth. But he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and, and it, he, he cried holy. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
And so I, I bring that particular passage up to suggest this, that when we, when we are praying that, and we're aware of the Lord's holiness, it ought not to leave us to, uh, it should not leave, um, we should not at all have the impression that this is just some sort of natural dialogue. Do you get what I'm saying? We're speaking to the one who is lofty and holy and separate from sinners. There should be weight. There should be glory. There should be a sense of uh, otherness. When we, we merge ourselves to prayer. This is why I, I, I've said before, but I show disdain for what I call dinner table prayers. You know, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep prayers. And the reason why I say that, you know, isn't, it's it's simply because when, when we come to the Lord, is it, it isn't this just, this dialogue. I'm not talking with a neighbor. I'm engaging with the Almighty. Do you see? I'm engaging with the Almighty. My Father, but the Holy One, the Almighty, the Eternal King, the only invisible wise God, to whom belong glory, dominion, and power forever and amen. It is that, it is Him who we engage with. <clears throat> but this is what David says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. To gaze upon His beauty. Let me ask you this, do you believe the Lord is beautiful? When you, when you join with Him in prayer, do you see the Lord's beauty? And see, it takes spiritual eyes to see that. Because you might just look around your room and see, you know, books or maybe some of you guys still got teddy bears on your bed or something. I don't know. Um, maybe you guys close your eyes. Um... But the point, though, is that it takes spiritual eyes in the place of prayer to see the beauty of the Lord, to see His beauty, to see His glory. There have been times where, you know, on my face, I just, I sob and I cry and I weep because the Lord's uh, presence is so delightful and His presence is so beautiful. It's certainly, it's heaven on earth. So you want to know how you can acquire strength when you're besieged by armies and war comes up against you? Is to go to the secret place and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Because if you're not gazing upon your beauty, upon his beauty, you'll be gazing upon the threatenings of men. Amen. It says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. So see, this is where David is. Uh, David, 
<clears throat> See, David is a valiant man of war. He, he, he could have easily um, taken strength or, or consolation or hope in his military experience. You know, his, his military resume say, you know, I've slayed tens of thousands of Philistines. All right? But that's not what he does. He doesn't forget the source. The source is the Lord. And it is the Lord that he acquires that strength. And what in particular? The Lord's dwelling. The Lord's house is where he's acquiring this strength. This power. And this is why he says in uh, verse 5, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. And where is David dwelling? He's dwelling in the house of the Lord. That's where he longs to be. In the Lord's tents, right? In the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And so we know that the rock is Christ and that he is a sure place for our feet to stay. As David says elsewhere in the Psalms, he says, He lifts me up from the miry clay and he sets my feet upon the rock to stay. He lifts us up out of the mire. When our, when our souls were going down into perdition, when the waters had nigh come upon us, Right, He lifts us up and he sets us high, elevated above our enemies. For those who humble themselves before the Lord, he exalts. And those who exalt themselves, he humbles. Then verse 6, it says, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. He says, then. And so there is a prior condition, and the prior condition is that David sought help for the Lord in the sanctuary. Hallelujah. So again, I want to challenge us. Are we finding help from the Lord in the sanctuary? Or are we going to all else? When trouble assails you, what's the first things that come to your mind? Is it, do you look to yourself? Do you look to your mom, your father? Do you look to your friends? Or do you look to the Lord? And, and this is this is real key here because if our faith is not in the Lord, men will will uh, fall prey to idolatry. And I, I think that that is at the heart of idolatry, is when men trust in other things rather than God. And and this, you know, people think it's, it's, it's uh, you know, we look in retrospect reading Exodus and, you know, seeing how the Jews, uh, the Israelites had you know, fashioned a golden calf and began worshiping it. I remember in my early years, I'm like, what, why the heck would they do that? Like a golden calf, like God just brought you out with an outstretched arm out of Egypt 
and now you're you're reduced to absurdity and foolishness by you know erecting this golden calf and uh but you know people today are not very far from that it's just that our golden calves today look different the golden calf today is you know lgbt the golden calf today is you know uh the joe biden's administration uh, the the golden calf today are different things it's it's money or or whatever right and they place their trust in these things and these things subtly become their god they ensnare them and they they, they trust in it because they think these things deliver right they think these things save you know, I remember going into the juvenile hall and I'm all talking to these, you know, these, you know, young gangsters. And, uh, you know, they're always talking about their guns and, you know, you know, my, my nine and my, you know, 22 and all this other stuff. And, uh, but what happens if the gun jams? What happens then? See, that has become their trust and their refuge. That has become their deliverer, their gang, their this. But what happens? It always turns back on them. But the Lord is faithful, and I'm, for that I'm thankful. The Lord is faithful, and He's trustworthy. He is dependable, and He will not jam like a gun. He will not fail. He will not falter. He will not fail to deliver. He always delivers that which he has promised he would. Right? The Bible says in Hebrews, it says, since he could swear by no greater, he swore an oath uh, uh, by himself. By himself he swore. So that he can make the heirs of salvation. I, I, I can't quote it verbatim, but it's basically to the effect to make his promise even all the more sure as a confidence to those who have sought refuge in Christ. He's dependable and he doesn't fail. Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful for that? Men fail. Systems fail. Ideologies fail. But the word of the Lord will not fail. It will always stand sure. It will stand true. And you have these movements and you have the devil trying to cast doubt upon the integrity of the word. Did God really say? Right? And, and these sorts of questions. But do not be mistaken that despite whatever our eyes see or don't see, that the word of the Lord stands true and it stands sure. And it's immovable. Hallelujah. The word of God is more sure than what our eyes see and what our ears hear. <clears throat> this is what David says. He says, uh, again, verse 6, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. 
So David, he's not grudgingly sacrificing the God. He's not like, man, you know, I I don't really want to uh, do this here. This is so hard, right? He says, with uh, joyful shouts, I will sacrifice to God. That's kind of like a prayer. Some some consider prayer a, a drudgery. Uh, they 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 mope to prayer, right? But when you reach that level of sacrifice in the place of prayer, it will be accompanied with shouts of joy. Amen, somebody. Or y'all never sacrificed in prayer. I hope we got some people who sacrifice. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> but he says that it's accompanied with shouts of joy. The Bible says, In the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, if there if there's no joy in the house of God, then I would question if it's a church. You know, I think one of the most disheartening things I see are, are when I've come to churches and everybody's hands are down, they look like mannequins. I'm like, did I walk into a retail store? Because I ain't seen anybody praising. <laughs> what what would I walk into? <laughs> I, I didn't leave the party life for this. I don't know what y'all doing. You look like mannequins. Maybe I can hire you, sell you to Forever 21 or... Or Walmart or something. <laughs> you dead as a as a doorknob. <laughs> I don't know what y'all call this. I don't call this church. I, I I want I want the pres I want there to be joy. I want there to be praise and not flesh, but but a, a, a true sounding from the spirit of praise and and unto our God. Hallelujah. You know, one of the things I, I understand that, you know, the Jews today, they're not really worshiping God. But one of the things I do appreciate about them is that they dance. I, I don't know where the Baptists and, and people like that learn this stuff. Where just, they don't even lift their hands. They don't do nothing. But uh, where at least the, the Jews, they dance. And there's a they, they believe in clanging cymbals and and, and a joyful sound. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I came to the Lord, I didn't come to a morgue. I didn't come to a funeral. There should be joy. There should be praise. You know, sometimes sometimes I I think my my neighbors think I'm insane or something because I just shout <laughs> when I'm praying. I just Shout and hallelujah, and you know, I, I wonder what they think of me sometimes. <laughs> but I don't know. To me, I think you don't don't do very much complaining because I, I I don't complain when when they you know play music and stuff. So you know, please don't mind me if I'm praying loud in tongues and you know, and uh, so <laughs> don't call the cops and and file a noise complaint. I won't on you. Right. In fact, I'll do it louder. 
But he says, I will sing and make music to the Lord. <coughs> That's what it says in Colossians. Singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody into your heart, in your heart unto the Lord. Making melody. You know, Elijah the prophet called Elisha or Elijah the prophet called for for music before he prophesied. He called for a minstrel. Music is biblical. And and you know, some and I, I get, you know, I appreciate those who have a value for the word, because that's front and center. But some people are so word oriented because they're so they've intellectualized Christianity. God forbid that we should come to a place where everything is just propositions and ideologies and and thought and thought and there's no there's no depth of of a heart that cries unto God and longs for Him and praises Him. Amen. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms that this is more pleasing than bullocks and, and, and sacrifices, praises. That's what David says in the Psalms. Because people, what I've learned is people can give their money, people can give their time, but when it, when it comes to actually praising God from the depths of their heart, I find it so scarce. Still thankful. You know, what good is it if, if, you're, if you give to charity, if you give to these things, but at the end of the day, you don't give God any thanks? It says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. It says, and you will honor me. You will thank me. You will praise me. And so I, I believe that we should learn from the Psalms. We should learn to clap our hands. The Bible commands it. It's not a suggestion. The Bible says to praise Him with loud sounds and, and shouts and clanging cymbals and, and praises. and that's, that's how we should be characterized as a people. Not obnoxious. Not motivated by flesh and, and sheer emotions. Sheer emotions. There's nothing wrong with emotions, but if it's purely emotional, that's, that's not what the Bible supports. I'm talking about a heart that is really cognizant of God. Aware of his glory, his great doings, his great deeds. And in response to that, you praise him with a heart of gratitude. <clears throat> so, so I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Isn't that interesting? He's praying in his prayer. In his prayer, he says, Lord, hear me. He says, hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. I don't know about you, but I, I'm thankful, as, as the Bible says in, in Exodus, says the, the Lord, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Lord, merciful, slow to anger. Abounding in love. I'm thankful for the Lord, the Lord's Amen. mercies, His compassions. The Bible says in Lamentations chapter three, the Lord's the 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 mercies of the Lord are renewed every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness.
verse 7, it says, Hear my voice when I call, uh, verse 8, excuse me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. You know, sometimes um, what I've learned about the Holy Ghost is that the time your flesh don't want to seek him most, he says, seek me. Right when you're about to go to sleep, the Holy Spirit says, seek me. Now, what do we do? That's a good question, right? Do we just hit the snooze button on, on the Holy Ghost? Or do we say, yes, Lord, I, I will seek you. I will seek your face. I will seek your beauty. I will seek your glory. I will seek for your favor. I will pray. I will worship you. Or how about this? For those of you that uh, aren't married yet, maybe you're, you know, you're courting a, a, a sister or a brother, and they say, hey, you want to come out for coffee? And the Lord says, no, come and seek me instead. <laughs> what do you do? Are you going to say yes to, to the Lord? Are you going to say yes to Him? See, this is a true test of spirituality. To say yes to Him and to decline even good things. Necessary things. Right? I'll tell you, the, the way of, of the Spirit can be a very difficult thing. Not, not a drudgery, not a regretful thing. Not a burdensome thing, a difficult thing. But it liberates us in the spirit. It liberates us. It makes for our peace. It says that those who have their mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Right? But the ways of the flesh, those who have set their minds on the things of the flesh, it's death. It's corruption. The ways of the flesh are, are burdensome. They're grievous. Too heavy of a burden to be borne. Isn't that why we have come to Jesus in the first place? Amen. <clears throat> the ways of the world were burdensome. And it brought us no rest to our souls. And Jesus, what did he say? He says, uh, you know, if you come after him, he says, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, the burden of the Lord, it, it might be difficult at times. Because it's a burden nevertheless, but it's not grievous. It's not oppressive. It's liberating. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> How many of you still remember your, your old ways? Your old life before you came to Christ. You still remember those that initial moment you called unto his name. Some of you were victims of, of drugs. Hard drugs. Poverty. Promiscuity. Don't forget the Lord who brought us from the land of Egypt. He brought us with, out of the land of Egypt with an outstretched arm. 
<coughs> when it says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Let, let me just say this. You know, sometimes saying yes to Jesus may mean uh, displeasing your mother and father. Amen, somebody? Saying yes to Christ may displease your mother and father. Amen. It may, it may ruin your relationship with them. It may ruin your relationship with your friends, your family, and, and don't don't mistake me. I'm not advocating for obnoxiousness. You know, some some Christians swing to the other opposite side of the pendulum, and they're like a bull in a in a china shop. They just wreck everything because <laughs> they have this very abrasive character. They say, "I'm just being faithful to God." That's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, you know, in in all in all truthfulness, your 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 true stance on the word, not your character, not your personality, because sometimes that that can repel, that can mess up relationships, like right? immaturity coupled with zeal. A, a, a true um, following of the Lord's word. It, it can disrupt families. It can it can mess things up. And I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, uh, but it is nevertheless true. And Jesus speaks about this. He says, "Look, if if you love them more than you love Christ, he says you're not worthy to be his disciple." You know, I think one of the hardest tests for some isn't to leave their drugs, isn't to leave. Uh, uh, pornography isn't to leave promiscuity or the bars but to say sorry family um, I'm not choosing uh, the idolatry that is associated with Catholicism I'm not choosing the, your traditions any longer I'm saying yes to Christ I'm saying yes to the truth of his word and uh I, I would invite you to espouse the truth of God's word as well. <clears throat> Believe on, on the on his truth. And and we can we can have a great relationship. But as it stands of now, you're in darkness, I'm in light, and there there isn't fellowship. There what is fellowship? It comes from the Greek word koinonia, and it means things in common. Things in common. What do we have in common? I'm not saying stop praying for them. I'm not saying stop loving them. But I'd be a liar to say that things may not turn sour. Because they often do. But nonetheless, there there is hope that they could come to Christ. There is hope that they can turn around if they would believe on the Lord Jesus and repent of their old ways. But he says, 
He says, despite the fact that my mother and father would forsake me, he says, the Lord, the Lord will not forsake me. How many of you are grateful for that? It says in Hebrews 13, it says, the Lord will not, it says, uh, neither will he leave you nor forsake you. Amen. You know, I, I remember in the world when I would go do dirt with my homeboys and stuff, and they would talk, you know, they would talk pretty confidently, like, yeah, man, I got your back, this and this and that. And um, nine out of ten times, it just wasn't the case. You know, and um, th that's to say that uh, people aren't dependable, but God is. Men fail. Jesus says he didn't commit uh, uh, much to them because he says he knew what was in the heart of men. They're fickle. And they toss with the waves to and fro. But the Lord is sure and he's eternal and he never changes. But one other, one other uh, I don't know where it's at exactly, but I believe it's in 1 Peter. Um, and I, uh, Peter says this, he says, uh, he talks about not thinking it strange concerning the fiery trials. And he talks about how there were certain people that, that, um, are surprised that you don't, that you don't follow along with their, with their behavior. And it says they malign you and, and they, they speak evil of you. And I remember when I first came to the Lord, uh, that those words leapt off the page because, uh, I was so thankful that I came to Christ and I thought everybody should be happy for me. And I remember hearing on some occasions of, of people that I, I loved, people that I respected, people that I had great friendships with, they would say, you know, we, we liked you more when you were in the world. We liked you more when you were a drug addict. And I was like, what? It didn't make sense to me. And that might be our experience. But let, let me encourage you. Don't say no to Christ because you are now on bad terms with men. Don't turn your back on Jesus because those people will turn their back on you in a heartbeat. Amen. Don't turn your back on Christ. Verse 11 says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. It says, teach me your way, Lord. So this is a heart of humility. It's like the disciples who asked the Lord, teach him to pray. You know, I, I was listening to a sermon just recently, and he, the, the, the pastor had pointed out a great point. He says this. He says, this is a great reflect. This is a great passage to really reflect on on our hearts to test whether or not we're truly humble because the disciples seen they had a need and therefore requested that Jesus teach them something. And his challenge to the congregation was this, when, if ever, have you asked someone to uh, teach you how to pray? You see, he, he's asking the Lord to teach him, but sometimes... What the Lord wants to teach you is locked up behind a person. 
And and so people are very quick to say, God, teach me. But if it's packaged in an individual, they don't want nothing to do with it. Right? Because it's easy to make it just about me and God. But what if the answer that God has for you is in a person? It's locked up behind an individual. Can you still retain that humility? Or are you going to get proud or Amen. upset and say, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to learn this. Amen. It only comes to an individual. Amen. <coughs> it takes humility. You know, I, I remember C.S. Lewis, he said that humility isn't to think of your uh, think of your uh, think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. But nonetheless, he says, "Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path." Um. I remember uh, C.S. Lewis also said this, every time you open up a book, you're acknowledging the insufficiency of yourself. What he meant by this is every time you open up a book, you're doing it to obtain knowledge. And so every time you open up a book, you're admitting that I'm ignorant in an area. The very act of me opening up a book is an admission of my ignorance. Now, it's very easy, as I've said, for us to do that with books, with the Bible, and prayer. God, I need your help. But the true test of humility is to appear before an individual and say, teach me something. I remember not long ago, a brother said, you know, the Lord's convicting me on because I need to pray and and I know that you you love to pray a lot. I said, well, you know, come to my house and expect for us to pray, you know, a good two or three hours. He never showed up. <laughs> so, bro, what the? Hey, man, I was waiting for a call. What happened? <laughs> what happened? I was waiting. <laughs> well, let me guess. The Lord told you something else. God changed his mind, right? <laughs> but anyways. Uh, verse 12, he says, Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me. Spouting malicious accusations. We're, we're coming to a close. Uh, verse 13 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Be strong and wait for the Lord. He, David says, I would have faint, fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have fainted. How many of you know there's there's times where we feel like fainting? 
I'm not talking about those who every day they're like, oh man, it's just so hard. It's just so hard to serve God. Oh man. I'm not talking about those. Those are the people that don't pray. Like every other day. Oh, what is it now? Sister, okay. <laughs> what? What is it today? <laughs> I, I'm sure y'all know some of them. I, I You know, anyways. Um. But uh, uh, Jesus even spoke a parable, Luke 18, verse 1, to an end that men ought always to pray and not faint. So Jesus doesn't forewarn about things that are not a, uh, a possibility for men to, to fall into. Right? The devil attempts to weary the saints, the Bible says in, in Daniel. That's his prerogative, to weary you. And it is your obligation to once again seek to obtain strength from the Lord. But he says this, I, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will, not I might, not it's a possibility or it's a great probability. He says, I will. And, and th this, is, this is where we have to declare the word of God over our lives. When the devil wants to throw lies into our mind and pummel us with, with his deception, we confess the word and declare it and say, you know what? No, that's not true. The word of the Lord says this. The word of the Lord says this, that it shall not be unto death, but I shall live and declare the wondrous works of God. Amen, somebody. That I, I, I'm, I'm the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. That I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who promised, and he will do it. Right? Just declare the promises of God. You might look like a lunatic. You might have to do it quite a while. You might have to do it while you're walking to work or you're driving or, you know, you're right there at the intersection. You're just like shouting and you turn your head and, you know, the person next to the, the, the car next to you thinks like, what, what's up with this guy? But nonetheless, to stand on the word and, and to declare it. And it says, verse 16, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. <clears throat> Unfortunately, this is where, you know, a lot of saints get it wrong. They're right on the cusp of entering into the land of the living. They're right on, on the cusp of obtaining what they've sought of the Lord. And instead of waiting on the Lord, they, they bless themselves. They, they don't endure. I, I, I've seen this uh, particularly true uh, when it comes to relationships, they don't wait on uh, God for a spouse and they they just, they take it upon themselves to bless themselves. They just take it upon themselves to, you know what, God isn't doing anything, I'm going to just go this route. But the Bible says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. And see that this this will get you into trouble here. 
your mind. I'm not advocating to be anti-intellectual, but I'm saying that there's a law of the spirit that transcends the intellect. Amen. The ways of the spirit are above the intellect. And you and I will be tempted to rely on this thing here and try to reason our way. But see, sometimes God don't give you answers to things. He doesn't explain the why. He just tells you what. And it's there, in that place, that we are either going to submit to Him and hearken unto His voice to obey His counsel or to be wise in our own eyes. The Bible says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. Do not, be, do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. In other words, revere Him. Like the Bible describes of Job, he was a man, an upright man that feared God and eschewed evil. And um, <clears throat> as it says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are unto death. And so we don't want to be victimized by rationale. We don't want to become victims to what our mind thinks, but our mind must always submit to this here. In fact, l let us real quickly turn to Psalm 1. <coughs> Psalm 1 verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. It says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, Whatever they, they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So the ways of the wicked and their thoughts are, on, are ways of destruction. But the ways of the righteous, because they meditate upon the word and the precepts of, of the Lord, are ways of prosperity. And this is why the Lord says, My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. It says, Therefore let the wicked forsake his thoughts. Because the Lord wants you to espouse his thoughts. That your thoughts may be righteous. Your thoughts may be upright. Your thoughts may be biblical and spiritual. Not the wisdom of this world, which is demonic. Amen. In fact, uh, real quickly, uh, um, uh, in James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is the wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. 
right? It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So he's saying that if you have selfish ambition in your hearts, and when you're harboring it in your heart, it's meditative. It's reoccurring. You know, like those who are covetous or envious of the possessions of others, they say, I got to get it. I got to get it. It's a meditation. You're doing yoga meditation and you don't even know it. (laughs) Right? And look at what he says here. He says, selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. So in boasting about this and harboring this, you are in turn denying the truth of God. You're denying his word. Right? Because you can't be for mammon and be for God. You can't be for this and be for the, uh, uh, the world. There is no neutrality. There is no mixture. It's very black or white, right? He says, such, verse 15, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so it's pure. There's no impurity. There's no mixture to this wisdom. That's why, you know, people who are selling books like, you know, the book Machiavelli or, uh, um, what are some of these other books, you know, um, that talk of like political wisdom and, you know, art of war. I think there's some things that are true in that, in some of these books, you know, or like, you know, uh, Socrates' Apology and a a lot of this wisdom, right? Um... But it's earthly. It's it's not pure. It comes from the wisdom of men. And and today in the church, the unfortunate thing is people take the word of God and they mixed it with their philosophies. I don't know if you you all seen some of those things on like YouTube, those YouTube reels where they'll put like um like some inspirational music and motivation and they use the word of God with that stuff. The word of God isn't for motivation. The word of God isn't to hype you up. And yet this is precisely what a lot of uh, these, these life coaches do. Let me just say this, just and this might offend some people. The Lord has never ordained a life coach. I don't know if you've ever read Ephesians 4. It talks about the offices. I don't see life coach there. Do you? I don't I don't see it. I see apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I don't see life coach. I don't see uh I don't see that. Oh come on, y'all ain't gonna talk to me. Is it because you guys like T D Jakes? Get ready, get ready. Turn to your neighbor, slap your neighbor. <laughs> Slap your neighbor and tell him, you know, tell him whatever, you know, Jake's tells you to tell them. 
or wh whatever other speakers are out there today. It's all hype. <coughs> but that stuff is earthly. That's the wisdom of the world. It's not the wisdom of God. Even though that they're quoting the Bible. See, the devil quoted the Bible. That's a good example. The devil quoted the scriptures, but was he admit was he admitting uh, the wisdom of God or or his satanic deception? Right? He was using demonic wisdom to try to ensnare Christ, but nonetheless using the word of God. He had just taken it out of context. Right? But again, it says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But with the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. You know... <clears throat> Uh, I think this is real important here, consideration. Because when, when we truly obtain the wisdom of the Lord, we develop consideration. We're considerate of the plights of others. We're considerate. Um, and, and, and I like the way that I believe the, KG, the King James Version puts it, is able to be entreated. So let, let me ask you this. When you're feeling emotional, can you be entreated? Can someone entreat you? Can someone persuade you? Not persuade you to do wrong, persuade you to sin, but persuade you to be considerate. Are you able to yield? Are you able to do that? Or, or are, are we stubborn like a mule? Oh, come on, somebody. Y'all ain't going to talk to me? C come on now. Uh, th this is where the true test of spirituality comes. To not be stubborn. To be humble. To be meek. Amen. People can entreat you. You know, I, I unfortunately I've had talks with, you know, uh, people in the past and, you know, brothers in the Lord. I... I tell them this is what the word says. And I don't do it obnoxiously. I, you know, I say this is what the truth says. And they go like this. They close their ears. And I don't want to hear it. And, you know, they do all that stuff. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit doesn't close his ears to his own word. Do you see? <clears throat> We need to be meditating upon the word of the Lord. Meditating upon his truth. Because the, the enemy is going to implant thoughts and try to deviate you. Try to get you to get to a, a different destination. Isn't that fascinating? I remember, uh, I believe it was... Uh, I don't know who it was, but they said uh, the most powerful weapon isn't a bomb. 
The most powerful weapon is a man who knows how to speak effectively in a microphone. And the point he was making is that words shape minds. You know, thoughts create words, words shape minds. And then minds then trickle down into behavior. And behaviors create cultures. And there, there are effects to this. And I bring that up because the enemy, the devil, false teachers, want to sway the masses by what they speak. And communicate. And the only thing that will stand sure isn't what this man says, what that man says, but what the word of the Lord proclaims. His word. His word is truth. The grass of the field is here today and tomorrow it's gone. But the word of the Lord abides forever. Amen. <clears throat> And so, um, in, in closing, <coughs> I, I want us to, to pray. Recording.